You know, being an interview guest for any media is not easy. Sometimes the host can be a little rude. Um, this might be the last time that you're on air, probably the last time that we'll invite you on. Are there any apologies that you want to issue to anyone? Sometimes the guest can be a little rude. You gave it up, right? I did. Sir. They didn't cancel you. You canceled them. You're not aware of this? No, I'm, I'm asking you. You think I got canceled? Are you under the impression uh, I, I got canceled? I hurt you, Jerry? I thought don't, that was pretty well documented. This is, a, is this still CNN? Don't most shows go down a little? Most people do also. You were do all you know who I am? There can be moments you wish you could do it over. Do I regret the fact that, that, that he has quite obviously conducted himself in a manner unbecoming? Yes. Unbecoming? He was a sex offender? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm being polite, um, in the sense that he was a sex offender. And the worst of all nightmares, what if you start arguing with one another? But again, you've been on JAG defending the administration all this time with no knowledge of the difference between our two bills, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity to say that to you in person. Right, Madam Speaker, these are, these are incredibly difficult times right now, uh, and we'll leave it on that note. Thank you so much yeah. for joining now, we'll us. We'll leave it on the vote that you are not right on this, Wolf, and I hate to say that to uh, you. Today on Stories and Strategies, how to be a great podcast guest. I feel confidence in my chairs. And it's not about me, it's about millions of Americans who can't put food on the table. We turn to one of the leading media trainers in the world because it's just like media interviews. Long food and we lines represent that we're seeing. Them. I know we you know are. Them. I'm, I'm Only totally different. Them we know them. As we, we say, know them. We represent them. Don't let yes. the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say. It is here nowhere in near perfect. Madam Speaker. Always the case, but we're not even close to the good. All right, let's see what happens because every day is critically, critically important. My name is Doug Downs. My guest today is Brad Phillips of Throughline Group based in New York City. Hi, Brad. How are you, Doug? I'm good. How's the Big Apple today? Oh, a, a little bit chilly. But spring is in the air, and there is a sense of possibility and rebirth after this long pandemic year. Absolutely. To be fair for everyone, we're recording in March. I know we, we're not publishing this until April, May, but so it'll probably be even warmer by the time this hits ears. Yeah, the Mr. Softy trucks will be out serving their soft serve ice cream, and everybody will be just a little bit happier than they are at this moment. <laughs> Awesome. Brad, you are the chief executive of Throughline Group, author of two books, The Media Training Bible, which is a good read, and 101 Ways to Open a Speech, which is another really good read. And I, I, you can see I've even on, you can see the, the video here, Brad, I've, I've even marked a few pages. Wow, that's it's quite flattering. But of course, when you hold up the book so I can see it, I realize how much younger I look in that headshot than I feel right now. <laughs> I paid full price for those, by the way. Do you know anyone I could talk to about that? Maybe uh, after the podcast? You know, perhaps Amazon customer service. Jeff Bezos is in a better chance to refund your money than I am. Absolutely. <laughs> Brad, you're a, you're a former producer at CNN, and you've been doing media training and presentation coaching for 20 years now, 20 years plus. Where did that time go? Uh, you may know Brad from his alter ego, comes out day or night, Mr. Media Training, um, which is how I got to know you. And then, then Throughline Group started up as well. So absolutely great to have you on the podcast. Br Brad, podcasts and media interviews, same thing, right? There's no difference between the two. Well, I guess in answering that question, I think it's important probably first to parse what is a media interview. And I think people still have this 
notion that a media interview is something formal. It's when you're invited to go in studio somewhere. Maybe you're doing a print interview over the phone. But I think we've seen so many examples over social media of some random person in a public space taking out their camera and, and shooting a scene. So in essence, anything you do in public life is a media interview. And within that context, sure, podcasts are indeed an interview. I think the one thing I would say that podcasts are different than other forms of more identified, more formal media interviews is that they often tend to be more personal than uh, an interview. So if you're the head of a nonprofit organization, for example, you might be used to doing media interviews where you talk about your your charity's work and you might talk about a, a campaign that you're in the middle of. But podcasts tend to want to know not only what you're doing professionally, but a little bit about your motivators on a more personal level. So within the context of other types of media interviews, there are important differences. Okay. So what are, preparation is key for any form of media interview. What are some of the ways to prepare for a podcast interview to hone your delivery? Well, first of all, on the substantive point of uh, side, in terms of coming up with your messages and the types of things you want to communicate to the audience, like any other interview, you would prepare those types of things like what is your organization working on? What is the campaign? Why is it important? But on the personal side, thinking through questions like how did you get involved in this topic? Where did you grow up? Who were your influences? What failures did you encounter along the way? Uh, how did you respond to those? Uh, how did you know? Was there a moment of insight when you realized that you would indeed be able to make this work? What surprised you the most? What upsets you the most? Uh, as you look forward five years, what do you see on the horizon? So those types of questions are not the types of questions we generally prepare people for when it comes to media interviewing. But for podcasts, uh, which tend to be more conversational in nature, it's important almost to have this parallel set of, of messaging. On the um, how to set up and, and how to have good audio quality side, I think it's it's key to have obviously good audio. Uh, podcasters like you are often really good about preparing your guests by giving them tips like try not to rely on the echoey whatever's built into your device, whatever's built into uh, your, your laptop or your tablet. So get an external device. doesn't have to be expensive. Something that can be either be a lapel mic or a headset mic that plugs in via USB can work fine. Uh, if you really want to up your game and you're doing a lot of these, you could spend a couple of hundred bucks on a, a good quality uh, USB mic. I use a, a standalone device called a Blue Yeti. Um, and these are all things that are, are good investments. And, you know, one of the things you noted uh, when preparing me for this interview was uh, find a quiet room where you won't be interrupted. Rooms with clutter are great. And one of the really fun things I've observed during this quarantine period is people who, who host these really high-profile podcasts are taking pictures of themselves literally in their bedroom closets. <laughs> and if you if it was on video, they would look, of course, ridiculous, uh, but they're not. And what they realize is that that hanging shirt, that hanging jacket, uh, works really well to help absorb some of the sound and give people great audio quality. So those are a few tips uh, for both style and substance. Those are great tips, too. Um and in terms of the preparation, I know from reading countless numbers of your blogs over the years that it, it's important to understand where the journalist or where the interviewer in a podcast case is coming from in their approach. The story is often maybe not written 
it, but it's it's kind of preformed at least in their head. News has always followed a cycle. The news breaks. So what happened? Who was immediately impacted and affected? And what's their immediate reaction? Then people start to offer some different interpretations, and and, and then over a, a period of time that's become much shorter <laughs> in recent years comes the analysis part of the cycle. Back in the the sixties, seventies, even the eighties, that was you know Time Magazine, Life Magazine. Up in Canada here, McLean's Magazine would dig into the analysis, and there are always so many different pathways to go. Now, it's, my goodness, by the time the so-called six o'clock news comes on TV, they've got to get into analysis because it's all happening so fast now. Podcasts. Where do podcasts find themselves in that cycle of things? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and at this moment, I don't. I'm not aware of a situation in which someone, let's say, an executive whose company is in crisis, has used a podcast as the medium to communicate immediately. Uh, and using as a, a relatively recent example, a few years old now, but just I think it's a good metaphor. Oscar Munoz, the CEO at the time of United Airlines, when a passenger was dragged off the plane, his first video interview was on Good Morning America. He didn't go on a podcast. But then you think about, you know, go back 10 years and ask yourself the question to your 2010 version of you or your 2011 version of you, would a president of the United States use Twitter as the main information channel to uh, communicate with the public? We probably would have said no. It would have seemed ridiculous at the time. And whatever you think of his approach, I think what uh, then President Trump proved is that it can serve as a pretty effective channel to get messages out, bypassing the more traditional media. So I, I can see the day coming when podcasts do become a place where people go first to break news. It hasn't happened yet, but I don't see any reason why it can't eventually happen. And there are some advantages. I think your your uh, I, your parsing of the different news cycles or or that occur, the different uh, parts of a crisis is exactly right. That what podcasts are great for is not the, at the moment, not the breaking news, but maybe a week or two after that incident occurs, when somebody needs to have a more thoughtful conversation, when the immediate crisis may be out of the news, but now they are working to rebuild trust or uh, re rebuild reputation with an audience. One thing I did in preparation for our conversation, Doug, I went onto Spotify and I looked at the top 12 podcasts, which this was a couple of weeks ago. I, I got this ready, but they include everything in the U.S. at least from the Joe Rogan podcast to the New York Times, the Daily, NPR News Now. And what I did was I looked at the length of the, the latest episode of each of those 12 podcasts. And the, the average length was 59 minutes, 53 seconds, pretty much an hour on the dot. And there was a wide range from about five minutes to two hours. And I think what that tells you is that this is really, generally speaking, a long-form medium, which allows that executive, for example, to have a, a longer, more thoughtful conversation with a little bit less risk, at least, of having some key thoughts edited or taken out of context. That's really interesting. I, I've heard from lots of folks now saying ours is, I call it a, a TED length. Ours aims to be 15 and inevitably becomes 20. Um, usually, it's usually the host that just keeps babbling like he is right now. Um, podcasts also have an ability to, to develop kind of a niche audience, right? And there's so many different niches. Um, if that's one of the strengths of podcast, does it mean that industry ac acronyms are more acceptable as a guest on a podcast, less emphasis on key messages, maybe a bit more free flow, and as you say, longer form answers. 
I, I answer that question by saying yes and no. It's a combination of both. Can you use acronyms? Yes. I mean, if it's a niche audience and your expectation is that that audience is filled of people just like you, then there's less risk of alienating that. But I, I generally think it's not a bad idea to be a little bit more of a generalist, uh, even in these niche interviews, because you never know who's tuning in. Let me just give you a concrete example. Let's say it is a podcast that technology officers, CTOs of, of various companies tend to tune into. Okay, so a different executive tunes in, or just a regular person with uh, some capacity to make buying decisions for their companies tunes in. Why purposely make a choice to exclude them from understanding? So can you get away with more? Yes. Uh, is it a good idea to kind of bring some of the others into the tent? Generally speaking, I think it is. In terms of should it be more free flow or not, uh, there was some really interesting data. This uh, I found some data from uh, the sources, Podcast Insights. This is a couple of years ago. It's 2019. And there's a couple of ways you could kind of parse this data, but uh, this is what it, it found. The question was, how many people listen to all or most of each podcast episode? And what it found was, it was here's what was interesting to me. They said, as they looked at the data, 80% listen to all or most of each podcast episode. Really? That's what they found, which surprised me. But then you break down the numbers and, and they said 30% listen to the entire episode and 45% listen to most of the episode. Or I'm sorry, 35% entire, 45% most. So there's the 80%. That, now that rings a bell when you say it like that. And I guess the question is, well, what does most of an interview mean? Uh, how many minutes left? What percentage of the podcast? And so, you know, I think uh, here's how I would think about it. Terrestrial radio, for example, you, you really as a guest don't know how long people will be staying tuned. They get into their car, they drive to a destination, they turn off the interview, they get in the car, they hear your podcast begin, they get to their destination halfway through. And so you really do need to be pretty good about getting to your messages and repeating them pretty frequently because there is a drop in dropout rate. For podcasts, I think you can make the assumption that people are pressing play from the beginning. And if you've gotten the messages out early, they've heard them. Now, that's not an excuse to get completely off your message uh, at the end, but it does suggest that unlike terrestrial radio, there's a little bit more of a bias to try to get the key messaging out early instead of sprinkling it in throughout the entire interview. Okay. If you're being interviewed for clips, um, I, I'm not sure. Seven seconds is is the, the number that I tend to use. I, there's no, there is lots of science to that, by the way, but, but in and around that seven seconds for a podcast, a seven second answer, that's um, ridiculous. Difficult. Difficult. Possible, but difficult. Yeah. You can go a couple of minutes with your answer on a podcast is what you're saying. You can, you can definitely go longer. You're not going to be edited in, in, well, let me, let me be careful there because yes, in a longer podcast and, and, you know, podcast is just a format. There's ones that are very tight. They're five minutes long. They do edited sound bites in those five minute podcasts. And then there's these more thoughtful extended conversations, but generally speaking, yes, those, those podcasts allow for longer answers. Uh, but that said, I think, you know, this is true of all formats, but I think sometimes Guests on podcasts, for example, will think, okay, so it's a 45-minute, let's say, conversation. Uh, it's live or live to tape, so it's not going to be as finely edited, and so there's less of a soundbite risk of something being taken out of context. 
But nothing stops that podcaster or other journalists or bloggers or tweeters from excerpting seven or 10 seconds from that podcast, especially if the guest is newsworthy. And so I think you always still have to keep in mind that while it is true you can give longer answers, there's always a little bit of a risk that just 10 seconds of it can be taken out of context. And while in the fuller context of an answer, there's not that much risk because you've contextualized it properly when removed from that context and run just as a standalone seven or 10 second soundbite, suddenly it could sound very different. And so as much as I hate to say it, I think there does have to still be something of a defensive quality uh, in making sure you're not handing uh, interviewers or their listeners things that could be taken out of context in that way. Possibly through the seven second stray, which I know I've heard you talk about. In traditional media interviews, you often know or, or have some familiarity with the person who's doing the interview. Our mutual friend, Pat Kiernan, could be doing the interview, and we both know Pat's approach to things. But in a podcast, even though you listen to previous interviews, which is probably a good idea, previous episodes, you don't really know the podcast host or interviewer. So you don't always know what's coming. There's a bit more of a Wild West kind of atmosphere in podcasting, and the host can really have an impact on your interview. Like that time, Chris Farley interviewed Paul McCartney on Saturday Night Live. You remember that, Brad? Well, it's, it's great to be here. <laughs> you, you, you remember when? Remember when you were with the Beatles? That was awesome. That was. Yeah. Okay. You remember when you were with the Beatles and you were supposed to be dead and uh, there's all these clues that like uh, you play some song backwards and it'd say that Paul is dead and uh, everyone thought that you were dead or something. Yep. Uh, that was um, a hoax, right? <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't really dead. <laughs> what a, what a uh, wonderful classic clip. Uh, uh, and, you know, that clip of, of, of Chris Farley <laughs> not knowing what to ask. In some ways, you know, I think about Larry King, who famously uh, didn't prepare for interviews and he would just react in the moment. And, you know, sometimes you generate some really interesting responses from a, an interviewer who simply says, that's awesome, because it forces the guest to respond and sometimes remain uh, really spontaneous and in the moment. And sometimes even those can can be pretty interesting to listen to. Yeah, it was a great character. Okay, I've got a, a, a bit of a gotcha question here because because I've got you with me. Um, you work with clients from all walks of life, all political spectrums. I know that you are a content marvel. You also have a very personal Twitter page where you're, you're not afraid to express your social thinking 
and your political thinking, because really you can't separate those two things if you're deeply involved in them. That is your right, of course, on your personal page. No one can really argue that. It's not your professional page on Twitter. My question, does that really matter that the two are really separate? No, it doesn't. Uh, and I think anybody who, so in my case, I, I have, we have two Twitter feeds, uh, at Mr. Media Training, and that's the one you're referring to where I express pretty uh, direct political thinking. Um, never gratuitous, I hope. I never want to be gratuitous, and I don't want to punch down. One of the rules that I have for myself is the people who are in power, the people who have platforms and, in my judgment, abuse them, those are the people I'm aiming for, uh, not the people who are uh, perhaps their victims. Um, but so that's that one channel. And then there's at through liners, which is the professional Twitter feed. I created those two so that the people who are interested in the media and presentation training tips, but don't want to hear anything of my politics can go to the at through liners page without being subjected to my thought on the other page. But I didn't do it to obscure or pretend that I'm not sharing my views. There's no trickery involved here. So no, that wouldn't be effective to answer your question. I think sometimes people have a misperception about media trainers. And, you know, this has come up in conversations with people about the fact that I'm pretty direct and blunt sometimes with my views. And they're surprised that a media trainer would be, in their view, uh, violating the rules of media training. But I think that's a misperception. The rules of media training is not about telling people never say something personal, never say something provocative, never challenge conventional wisdom. Media training is about making sure people understand the impacts of those decisions and that they're intentional choices. And in my case, you know, one of the things I'm very mindful of in conversations I've had with probably at this point, dozens, if not hundreds of, of people, including clients, is that a lot of people can't say what they think. They work for or represent a larger brand. And so they would risk their company's reputation. They would risk their own if they say, hey, I don't like the immigration policy that I believe is cruel at the southern border of the U.S. They would risk reputation. They would risk their jobs. So if they can't speak, but I can and choose not to, what does that say about me? Mm. And so that's what motivated me to uh, kind of abandon the the earlier apolitical voice of wanting to be completely unbiased and offer an unvarnished, or, or I should say kind of an agnostic view and decide, you know what, life is short. I believe in things. I'm willing to pay the costs, potentially even meaning that certain people won't want to work with me in order to express what I believe to be true. Really well said. Last question, Throughline Group. Uh, you're based in New York. You've provided training services all over the United States, for sure, probably in different parts of the world. In this virtual world now, we have virtual conferences, media interviews these days. So many of them are virtual in nature. Is is all over a little bigger for you now? Is, is the <laughs> playground the world? The playground's the world. And, you know, in many ways, it's it's been fascinating. I'll just say a couple of things about this. I mean, first of all, um, I think we have to be uh, we have to be willing to work at five in the morning and at 10 at night because suddenly we have to accommodate time zones all around the world. So, yes, I mean, it certainly increased the size of the playground. And I think the other thing, and this is something that we've had to have some awareness of, but as we increase, let's say, our uh, our business or the number of clients we might work with in Asia, for example, I think we have a job 
to become more sophisticated in understanding the cultural differences, the differences in the presentation and media climate there, so that we're not giving one-size-fits-all rules of things like body language that work very well in North America, but may have the opposite effect in Asia. Brad, thanks for this. I mean, given the title of this this episode, "How to Be a Great Podcast Guest," you, you had a you you put a lofty challenge before yourself. You are a, a great podcast guest. Well, I'll throw the compliment right back to you, Doug. You are a great host and made this a, a real pleasure. It's great to be with you. Thank you. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Brad Phillips, you can email him at brad at throughlinegroup.com. Those Twitter handles, the professional handle is at throughliners. And the personal handle, and both are worth following, is Mr. Media Training, if you're not already following. If you liked what you heard today, we're hoping you choose to follow stories and strategies and receive updated episodes automatically. Love it if you followed us on Twitter. It's at comms underscore podcast. Or I'm personally on Clubhouse now. I got an invitation the other day, so I, I feel like a big deal. Uh, it's Doug Downs Canada. I know there's a few Doug Downs throughout the United States and Utah, and uh, I think there's one down in Georgia. Georgia, but I'm the Canadian one. We hope you choose to follow and rate this podcast on any directory you're listening on. And would you do us a favor, recommend this podcast to one friend. If you have an idea for an episode, you just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>